would be, and stay on the line while she called in the emergency crews. Call everyone you know, you're gonna need it, I said. Have you moved to a secure location? She asked. I hadn't. I was too immobilized by the sight of the plane spiraling downward, ever closer, its wings seesawing and tails slashing back and forth in a desperate effort to see through the cloud of smoke. And then suddenly, it was quiet, the sound of the engine replaced by a breeze through the trees lining the road behind me. The silence snapped me out of my trance, and I ran toward my Volvo station wagon where it was parked by the side of the road. But before I could get there, I heard a steady whirr as the engine caught hold again. The plane's nose lifted slightly as it regained purchase on the air and settled back into its banking descent. The voice of the police dispatcher barked out of my phone, still steadfast and composed, asking me to report on the state of affairs. I told her the plane was still struggling though my voice might have been drowned out by the sound of the engine, now even closer overhead. The left wing dipped severely as the plane banked into another turn, and with the smoke temporarily diverted by the wind, I caught a glimpse of the pilot. It was a woman, with brown hair secured by a headband. She was too far away for me to make out more than that. It sounded like the engine had straightened itself out the unsettling silence replaced by a smooth buzz. As she continued to turn left in that inexorable circle, I strained to get a better look at her face. It was a hard face, nearly attractive if not for the determined, anxious set of her jaw, and though still a distance away, I was sure she looked directly at me. I waved like mad, hoping she'd know our eyes had met. The pilot's door abruptly opened, and out flew a large silver thing that took but a few moments to fall to earth. It didn't take much longer for me to clamber over the fence and dash across the field to where the object lay. It was a type of aluminum case, cracked open by the fall. Inside was a 35-millimeter camera and lens, each still safely in its own pocket carved out of cushioning foam. Some other debris, pens, lipstick, camera accessories, a local shopper's guide from Burlington, Vermont, and a few crumpled pieces of paper was strewn nearby. I stuffed what I could back in the case, then slammed it shut. The police dispatcher asked for another briefing. She was still calm, but slightly more insistent, her voice loud enough to hear out of the phone that I'd stuck in my pocket. Be right with you, I yelled, though she likely didn't hear me. The sound of the plane, which I'd almost lost track of, suddenly got a lot louder. I looked up and saw it coming straight down upon me, rotating in a slow downward spiral, what had been smoke, now a roar of flames flowing from the engine, any semblance of control entirely lost. Please describe the current situation, yelled the dispatcher, patience and composure running out. I would have answered, but I was too busy running like hell with the aluminum case under my arm. The grassy field was a lot lumpier underfoot than it looked from the road, 
but that did little to slow me down until my toe caught some treacherous little tangle of vegetation and I pitched headlong to the ground. Aided by forward momentum, I almost scrambled back on my feet, but I lost my balance and ended up on my butt instead. There was nothing left to do but watch. I held my face in my hands and moaned, Oh, God, softly to myself, as the plane drove directly into the bright green grass, where it exploded into a beautiful orange ball, topped by blossoms of black smoke boiling up into the sky, as if a fountain from hell had erupted into the hopeful promise of spring. A wall of red-hot air punched me in the chest. The grass between me and the destroyed plane began to burst into flame, still holding the camera case and furiously sucking gulps of air.